our focus over this time has been on give thanks. The title of my sermon tonight is Thankfulness Through the Trials and the Tests. And I want you to take a moment to think about how is the posture of your heart when you go through trials and tests? Does thankfulness emerge? It's very quick, it's very easy, it's very obvious, it's very um, easy for us to be thankful to God when everything is going well. When we are going from breakthrough to breakthrough, from victory to victory, from testimony to testimony, triumph to triumph, promotion to promotion, it's easy to honor God. Our heart is full. God has clearly answered our prayers. He's met our needs. His favor rests upon us. But what do we do in those moments where those things seemingly have been diluted, dented, diminished, even destroyed in our lives? And I want to take us to a psalm that I know very well. It's Psalm 77. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Psalm 77. For those of you wondering who wrote it, it was one of the psalms that David didn't write. It was written by Asaph, who was a very high-ranking poet, lyricist, songwriter in the Levite tribe. God even chose him to serve in the tabernacle. David gave him a position of prominence, a position of responsibility, of ministering before the Ark of the Covenant in 1 Chronicles 6. He was obviously a worshipper. He loved the Lord and he knew how to sing. Psalm 77, ESV translation. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever? Will he never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder on all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great water. Yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand 
of Moses and Aaron. Now it strikes me that Asaph is a pretty godly man, he's a pretty gifted man, and he strikes me as being highly non-religious and very, very direct in his communication with God. And I, I, it forces a question for us to consider this evening. In our own trials and tests, could we be quite so candid, quite so direct, no frills, communication in our walk with God? I think God values that level of honesty and vulnerability in our hearts. You can see here he's been very direct, very open, very vulnerable, very transparent with God. He pours out his heart to God in the most unfiltered, direct, blunt manner, void of worrying about whether he's offending God. He makes no attempt to disguise his troubled heart, to subdue his feelings or his emotions. He's once again right down the middle of a big trial and test in his life. And immediately he looks to God for refuge, for release, and for redemption. And so my first question to you this evening is, when you go through trials and tests, do you deploy the same approach and attitude that Asaph does in this portion of Scripture? Does your heart overflow with thankfulness? Does your heart position itself to speak directly to God, not being concerned about your pride or your ego? And I think verses 1 and 2 capture the despair and the desperation in his heart as he struggles to see a pathway through his pain. He's crying out to God in the middle of his trial and his trauma and his turmoil. And he knows that God and God alone can help him because he's already enjoyed and experienced God's provision, God's protection in his life previously. And I'm certain that the same is true for each and every one of us today. How many of us know, regardless of the season that you may be in tonight, God remains faithful to a thousand generations. Great is his faithfulness each and every day. His mercies are new every single morning. The word of God declares that he never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Our circumstances may change. Our confidence in God may change. Our trust in God may change. But he himself is unchanging, unwavering, faithful to a thousand generations. The word declares here that my soul refuses to be comforted. I mean, that is a brave and a bold proclamation by Asaph. Such is the depth and the despair and the desperation that he has in his heart, that he essentially is saying, unless you step in, God, I'm destitute, I'm done. I wonder tonight if there's somebody here in this place and you feel like you're in that place and you're in that position. How do you respond in times of trial and test? Do you truly get desperate for God? Do you focus on the problem or the problem make a problem solver? Your pain, your problem may be profound, but I am convinced that you can find comfort and confidence that a God who did it before can do it again. If he broke through before in your life, he can and he will do it again in the name of Jesus. So my second point is, what does Asaph actually do? He taps into all his previous testimonies and triumphs. 
verses 3 to 6, after he's lamented, after he's cried out, after he's poured out his heart to God, he starts to trace his journey back in time, looking at the previous seasons, the previous circumstances of his life, to try and find some crumbs of comfort, some hollow hope, some tenuous trust that he can hold on to in the middle of the current trial that he is currently facing. Do you know that your testimony is not an historical event of what God did in your life 20 years ago? Amen? Your testimony is what God has done in your life previously, what God is doing in your life currently, and what you have total trust for God to do in the future of your life. So often in our Christian walk, oh brother, sister, tell me, what's your testimony? And the person just traces back to 20 years ago, to some isolated individual moment where God broke through, and then seemingly nothing has happened in their life since that moment. God is always working. God is always moving. I'm reminded of the words from Sinach in Waymaker. I am not going to burst into song. I promise you. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. Some of us need to know that tonight. You might be going through the valley of the shadow of death, but know this. God is with you. He is Emmanuel, God with you. And you need to remain strong and steadfast in your hope and your trust, in confidence in God, that if he's done it before, the same God who broke through last week, last month, last year, can and will do it again. God's capacity and God's capability is not under your appraisal tonight. If he's done it before, he can do it again. You need to raise your levels of confidence in God. Isn't that the truth about God? He's always at work. And I think he's often more at work in our lives than we may be aware of. And I think he's often more at work in our lives when we're least conscious of it. How many of us know that we serve a God of the suddenly? God turns it around. God turns situations and problems around in a heartbeat. How many of us have ever been surprised by God? Lift your hand with me in the house of the Lord. Anyone ever been surprised by God? Where you've prayed and you've prayed and you've prayed and suddenly God broke through. God has done it before. He will do it again. God's glory is unmatched. It's unsurpassed. And he is ordering every single detail of your life. And he is orchestrating it for your good. So how do we walk this out in our Christian life? In our times of trial and test? Do we trace our own steps back before the trials and tests emerge? If you take your joy in the Lord, for example. The word of God declares, return to me the joy of my salvation. That's a very unique point in your Christian journey. The word of God doesn't declare, return to me the joy of my salvation from last week or last month or last year. It's that peak moment where you knew that you knew that you knew that you knew that the God who flung stars into space has just redeemed your life from the pit of hell and you now enjoy eternity with the Father. What a beautiful moment. I bet your joy tank was full at that moment. But here's the problem. Life then happens. (laughs) 
Life happens. Challenges occur. Trials occur. You know the word of God declares in Psalm 34 verse 19 that the righteous go through many trials, plural, and struggles, plural, but the Lord delivers them from each and every one. I want to humbly suggest to you tonight that if you're going through a trial, dignify the trial, but know this, you're going through it because you're probably trying to live a righteous life for God. And in that moment, he's trying to stretch your faith and deepen your dependency on him. Asaph seems to vividly recall incredible victories and triumphs in his own life from long before the current season that he's trying to navigate. And then in verses 7 to 9, he basically makes six suggestions, six questions, six statements, if you like. Will the Lord spurn forever? That's a tough one. Maybe now in your own life, you might be thinking in the trial that you're going through that you're going to be rejected by God, that God has somehow overlooked you. That God is somehow absent, aloof from your life. That he doesn't care, he's not interested. Can I tell you, he's invested in your life beyond any measure that you can possibly construct or conceive in your heart and mind. But I wonder, when we go through those trials and tests, does the language that Asaph used, does that become language in our heart, even if we don't say it out loud? Have we ever said, oh Lord, have you given up on me? Have you spurned me? Have you ever said, oh Lord, where is your favor? I am your servant. I am loving you. I'm coming to church. I'm tithing. I'm serving. I'm sacrificing. Where is the favor? Have you, when you go through those trials, do you ever think, when is the end? <laughs> when do I get out of this situation? How do I find my way out? The question is always is, how long is this trial? Never avoid God's ways of maturing you. He will send you through challenges and trials and situations sometimes so that you can mature in your walk with Jesus. And sometimes for us, we need to recognize that in our lives. Because we all want the victory, we all want the breakthrough, but sometimes we don't want to go through all the challenges and all the issues to get the breakthrough. But God is maturing us. God is molding us. He's shaping us in and through those moments. Number three, has his steadfast love forever ceased? What I love here is he's using really, really strong language. He uses the word forever. That's quite a big word. He uses the word, will he never again be favorable? Now he's saying, will the steadfast love of the Lord forever stop or cease? Are his promises at an end for all time? He's thinking, this is it. This season is now my only season until I die and go to glory. I want to tell you that God will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He's with you. Just like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in Daniel. He will join you in the fire. He will come into the middle of your problem. He won't necessarily pull you out. 
He's going to join you right there in the middle of your trauma, your turmoil, your test, and your trial, and then lead you out. He's the fourth person in that story, as you know well. Number five, has God forgotten to be gracious? (laughs) I mean, he's now questioning God at a pretty blunt and direct level. It probably reflects the level of his intimacy in his walk with God. He's suggesting that God is somehow deficient. God has somehow forgotten stuff. Do we do that in our own Christian walk? Do we think, God, hey, what about me? All these people getting blessed. All these people getting promotions. All these people getting breakthroughs. All these people getting tested. What, 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 hang on, what about me? If you keep trusting God, you will get your breakthrough. In the name of Jesus. God's mercy for our lives never runs out. Number six. Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Do you ever feel like the whole wrath of God is your portion when you're going through a trial? You think, oh, it's me, myself and I now. I've got to fight this on my own. God's compassion is available and accessible to you even though you go through trials and challenges, you just have to access that resource, that heart, that nature that God wants to give you. Because I think it's pretty clear in those six examples that Asaph gives there that he has removed any limitations in his language and he's just having a straight-out strop with God. And I think God's kind of pleased with that once in a while. We remove the Christianese language, the polite proficiency that we can develop in our walk and our journey with Jesus and he's like you know what God I've just got some things that are on my heart and chest that I need to get off and you need to know what I'm going through I think God admires that there's a vulnerability there's a there's a brute force and ignorance if you like attached approach to that but his deep desire knows one thing if there is one person who can deliver him it's God It's worth noting the totality of this psalm is pointed to only one person, God. He makes no attempt to reference anybody else but God. And I think that's significant for us. And it forces another question for us. When we go through our own trials and tests, is God the first person that we speak to? Is God the first person that we interact with when we start to go through trials and tests? Or is God the last resort, the final port of call after we've exhausted all our other avenues and opportunities because his desire for breakthrough and deliverance from his own trials and tests forces these really blunt sweeping statements and questions that he gives to God probably already knowing the answer but he simply doesn't care he wants God to know the content and the condition of his heart irrespective of how damaged And how difficult the reality is for him in that moment. He has basically worked it out that unless I lay it all down before God and I petition my God who did it before to do it again, there will be no breakthrough, there will be no victory, there will be no deliverance, there will be no testimony and there will be no end to the trauma of his trials and his tests. And I want to suggest tonight to you that the same standard is assumed and expected for you with what you may be navigating, with what you may be going through. We cannot continue in our Christian walk to constantly filter and airbrush our communication with God. 
We need to be clear. We need to petition him with courage and confidence. Otherwise, how do we expect him to move? And then point three, verses 10 and 12, capture the dedication and the decisive decisions that he starts to make in his life. He starts to recount and recall all the significant moments of his trial and his tests. He remembers all the previous deeds, all the exploits that he's enjoyed personally and intimately with God himself from previous moments. How many of us know that if you took time to write down every single testimony of what God has done in your life, we would be here until midnight? Why? We serve a great God. We serve a supernatural God. A God that does things that might seem impossible with man that become possible with a God who is perfect in all of his ways towards us. He allows the testimonies of his previous breakthroughs to act as fuel as he focuses his heart on God, on all that God has attained and achieved in his life up to that point. And I want to suggest to you tonight that if you are going through a trial and a test, do the same Start to recount and recall and remember all the deeds that God has done in your life. Every breakthrough, every testimony, every victory, every health concern that you had that you no longer have. Every financial restraint that you previously had that you no longer have. Every prayer that you don't pray anymore because God answered you. Start to write, recall and recount them. Because they're going to act as fuel. Do not let the enemy silence you. Do not let the enemy's lies silence you that God has somehow, you've had your moment with God, you've had the peak of your experience with Jesus, that's your lot. He's moved on. If God has done it before, he will do it again. It's always easy, isn't it, to focus on what God isn't seemingly doing in our lives and focus our attention and our effort on that than it is to recall all the beautiful and majestic breakthroughs that we've enjoyed from years previous. Push past the pain of the problem, meditate on all the miracles, marvel in the moments of victory and breakthrough, and you will find freedom. You will find breakthrough. You will live in victory. Because you know why? God knows best. Amen? The word of God declares in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, words we are familiar with. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. In your Bible, it probably shows like it does in mine, that that entire chapter in Isaiah 55 is listed as The compassion of the Lord. God is with you. God sees your pain. He sees your heartache. He sees the dignity, the integrity, the humility, the righteousness, the purity with which you are trying to navigate your trials and your tests. But it's an invitation tonight. Draw closer to him. Pour out your heart to the one true and living God and watch him move in and through your life. Because he knows what you're going through. He's not unaware. He's not uninterested. He's wanting to grow you. He's wanting to develop you. And simply because you are a believer in Christ does not mean that we are exempt 
from trials and tests. But He is Lord. He is sovereign. He rules and He reigns. Because our God is perfect in all of His ways towards us. He promises never to leave us, never to forsake us. And He has the capacity and the capability to help us overcome every trial and every test. The question for us is will we surrender? Will we submit to His Lordship afresh and allow Him to move? Verses 13 to 19 you can read again in your own time but just to paraphrase those six or seven verses, Asaph essentially starts to focus his attention and his energy and his heart on the majesty, the beauty, the power, the lordship, the dominion, the authority, the sovereignty of God. And he starts listing so many vivid expressions of God's power on display in his life and across the nation's of the earth. But I want to take us to the final verse, to the conclusion, to verse 20. The word declares, you lead your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. It almost feels like it's tagged on to the end of these beautiful expressions that we see in the previous seven verses, but it's not. Because he's reminding himself, and therefore by extension us, that the Lord is his shepherd. That he leads his people, he anoints his people, and he appoints us to be servants. And we know in the word of God, in the Old Testament in particular, there are three significant Old Testament prophecies that highlight Jesus being the good shepherd. The one we all know well, Psalm 23 that David wrote, Isaiah 40, Ezekiel 34, There are over 350 Old Testament prophecies that then relate and correlate into the New Testament. But there are three significant ones that I've mentioned about him being the good shepherd. But you know, the words the good shepherd only appear in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, it's simply the Lord, our shepherd, the Lord, my shepherd, the shepherd. But Asaph finishes his story, his journey with God by focusing on him being the good shepherd. There's no evidence that Asaph got a way out. But there is evidence that his perspective changed. The posture of his heart changed. He's moved from lamenting, anger, frustration, pain, hurt, queries and questions to God to remembering the goodness of God, to remembering the glory, the majesty, the dominion, the sovereignty of God in his own life. That then transcends to thankfulness for all that God has done previously in his life. And we finish with him remembering that God is his shepherd. If he's never let him down before, he will never let him down in this moment. And the same is true for you. You may be going through the worst journey, the greatest test, the biggest struggle, but you know God is with you. And so, I want to encourage you to do three things tonight into this week. I want you to write down every test 
that you've already overcome by the power of God. That might take you some time. Our Thanksgiving service is on Wednesday. What an appropriate time for you to bring your praise report of what God has done in your life. I want you to try and recall prayers that you may have prayed for years, that you haven't prayed for years now because God has answered. That prayer is not necessary or needed anymore because God has answered. God has delivered. God has broken through. God has provided or protected, whatever the prayer situation is. Number two, I want you to take time to write down all the qualities of God that you have seen exhibited and demonstrated in your own heart. You know that you are his child in whom he loves and is well pleased. Amen? The word of God is covered with the beautiful promises of God for each and every one of us. Every promise is yes and amen for those that are in Christ Jesus. But you know the word of God, the promises of God rather, they're a bit like a check. Now I know those are old, but you know checks when you used to write a check, you cut a check and you gave it to someone? It was only worth something if you took it to the bank and actually deposited it. You had to claim it. Now this is not me saying name it and claim it. But for some of us, we need to claim the promises of God over our lives. Not just have an awareness of them. We need to move beyond awareness to acceptance. And say, that's me. That's my portion. That's what God has prepared for me. Because he loves me. And he's with me. And number three, you need to declare and decree victory over your situation. You will have victory. Your current season is not permanent. But God's presence in your life is permanent. He never changes. His promises never change. He never changes His care, His concern, His love, His provision, His protection, or His power over your life. He is unchanging from generation to generation. And as I said earlier, you will overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the power of your testimony. But sometimes... We need to carry the truth of God, the word of God in our hearts. And we need to then ultimately enforce the victory that Jesus gave us at the cross. But all of that is caught and captured by having a thankful heart in the midst of the trials and the tests that we go through.